my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at the Dwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard. I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife, learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way. Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves as we have the human right to do. And I am looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there, Delmar Bowden. I am non-binary, queer, transgender, midwife, and post-spectrum doula. My focus is on increasing access and equity in midwifery care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida at the practice of Midwife Love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out. Welcome listeners. This is Angie Love here, nurse midwife extraordinaire. And I thought it'd be good to have on a dear friend and former partner, Paul Robinette, and to get his take on what it was like to be a partner of a midwife uh, for close to a year, and also to explore with me my journey uh, to where I am today in midwifery. So Paul, let's get us started. Well, hello, Angie. It's so wonderful to see you. Thank you. And um, yeah, I'm excited about this conversation and um, I'm excited to share with people the impact that getting to know you um, has had on my life. It's actually changed. Um, uh, it's changed um, a lot of things about the way I see women, family, people. Like it was quite a mind blowing experience. And I hope I get to share a little bit about that in the podcast today, as well as introduce you um, to the world. Yay. Yeah, I'm excited about it too. <laughs> well, let's just, you want to get started? Let's do it. Let's do it. So, okay. So I think one of the very first questions I ever asked you, uh, and I'll never forget your answer. So I'm kind of curious to see how you answer it today. But I remember when we first met and we first started talking and you shared with me uh, that um, you were a midwife and I instantly said, oh, you deliver babies. And you like, no, I catch babies. <laughs> and I was like, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh, this is going to get technical. I better keep up quick. Um, basically, I knew nothing about this. And um, so uh, I asked you early on, I said, so, uh, Angie, why did you become a midwife? And I think I threw out the answer. I said, is it because you love babies? Why did you become a midwife? And uh, do you remember what you told me? I love women. I love That's exactly women. right. You kind of, you shocked me. You're like, well, it's, you know, I like babies. She's like, but my heart 
is with women. And I, it instantly got really serious at that point for me. And, um, and you started sharing with me a little bit about that journey. So would you like to share a little bit about that here on the podcast about um, why, what you saw happening to women or how you even ended up in a place to see anything happening to women and hospitals and birthing? And, uh, and did you start out in your medical profession to be a midwife? Yeah, so I think I got interested in medical things back in high school. I was going to a pretty nerdy high school, the North Carolina School of Science and Math. Go unis, unicorns were our school mascot. And very appropriate, by the way. <laughs> very appropriate. So um, I was interested in caring for people. At that point in my life, I was also very interested in being a missionary. I am no longer such, um, but um, I thought about biomedical engineering, making cool prosthetics for people. That was interesting. Uh, my mother um, basically told me you need to be a doctor and just gave me that mandate. So I toyed with that. And when I went on a tour of my college of choice, I met, I happened to be staying with a nursing student and I told her I was thinking about pre-med and she says, well, that's fine. But, you know, doctors, they do their rounds. They see their patients five or 10 minutes. If you really want to be the one with the patient holding the hand with them the most, you want to be a nurse. And that conversation stuck with me. And I definitely had that level of empathy and that level of caring. And so I decided to go for nursing and uh, I did my bachelor's um, in nursing. So a bachelor of science in nursing and nursing has so many different fields, so many different options. It was like a, a wide open field. I didn't have to choose from, I could enjoy all of it for those four years. And yeah, so the, the areas I really liked in nursing were um, labor and delivery or birth. I really liked psych nursing. That was interesting. Um, and I really liked hospice, which was end of life care and very spiritually meaningful. So those were kind of like the three areas that I had narrowed it down to where I really wanted to be. When did you come across um, uh, in your nursing experience? Uh, how, how did how did you decide to focus in on birthing rather than go into some other things that you just talked about? Well, um, birth seemed like it was happy most of the time, so I like that. My actual first OB rotation that I did in nursing school was in Mexico. I was doing a semester abroad, and so I was in a Mexican public hospital. Uh, this was in Wow. Long time ago. It was like 1998. And the public. You speak Spanish? Yeah, I'm bilingual in Spanish and English. And the Mexican public hospital was kind of like how the hospitals were here in the US, maybe back in the 50s or 60s. They weren't allowed to have any visitors with them. They all got a shave. They all got an enema. They all got their IV. They labored on stretchers. And they each got a spinal when they got to completely dilated and most all of their babies were pour, pulled out with forceps. So in many was this ways, a surprise, a surprise to you. 
Oh, big surprise. Yeah. In many ways, inhumane and not um, comfortable for the woman, for the family, for any of that. So I learned a lot while I was there, but it was, you know, very disturbing with this is still okay to treat women like this. Um, and then I experienced a rotation back in Pennsylvania with a nurse midwife and they were all hospital births, but it was a much different scenario, families around, um, women able to birth with their families present and the nurse midwife, very caring. So I really, I really enjoyed that and liked that and said, okay, well, I can, I can do labor and delivery. I can do birth. And so that's where my focus went. Had you had any previous experience, relatives, yourself, your, you know, cousins, aunts, anybody that had uh, done home births? Nope. Didn't know anything about home births. Had never been at a birth personally other than nursing school. Wow. Okay. And in nursing school, um, do is there general um, education about birthing and they made it sound a little different or was it just not talked about or? You know, like what was the difference between what you were taught and what you saw? What I was taught in Pennsylvania was pretty accurate for American hospitals. Um, it was a totally different world down in Mexico, but the Pennsylvania education translated to the Pennsylvania hospitals. Yeah. Was it anti-midwifery or anything like that? Or was it even brought up, you know, in your early education? No, um, there were nurse midwives in the hospitals up there. And so that was, you know, well-respected. I didn't know that people were birthing outside of the hospital or doing community birth, home birth. First, and I didn't really know that. Um, so that, you know, I wasn't curious about that because I had no idea that was going on. So you're in Mexico. Uh, you go back to Pennsylvania. You've been at a few births. You're thinking... Is this uh, humane? I mean, literally not just like, is it the right thing to do, but is it like the wrong thing to do? Yeah. And uh, how long after that did you go on to get uh, your, become a nurse practitioner? Well, I was a nurse um, for five years before I was licensed as a nurse practitioner. I started my career in Miami which I would say is one of the worst places to give birth in the U.S. Florida's on the whole is a pretty poor state to give birth here. We have pretty bad statistics and Miami's one of the worst cities. So I didn't know all this. I just wanted to live in Miami. I moved down to Miami and I started first in the postpartum unit. So mother, baby, taking care of moms and babies right after they'd given birth. And I loved that. I loved being around during those happy times. I loved teaching women about breastfeeding, how to do it, the benefits. I would work really hard for the, with them all day long on it and come in the next day, excited to see them again. And then they would tell me, oh, well, the night nurse made me give, give formula and said my baby would be brain damaged if I didn't. So, you know, the st starting to realize there's a lot of stuff going on in these hospitals that's not evidence-based and that it's not in the best interest of this woman or family, but the nurse is doing what's easy for them. So a little bit of critical thinking that went into it. I did mother-baby unit for, I think, about six or eight months, and then I was able to start on labor and delivery and uh, be helping in the actual births. And it was um, 
a city hospital that I started at. In Pennsylvania still? No, in Miami. Or in Miami. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so, at, a, so this is after schooling. This is kind of where you land as Miami. I'm in Miami. I'm working at um, a city hospital and seeing lots, lots of births and working the night shift, getting experience and seeing quite a lot that disturbed me about the hospital care or that I would say was actually traumatic. Uh, things that I saw that made me feel guilty being a part of it. Did you ever have any of the women uh, that you were working with that were, you know, giving birth, uh, you know, kind of reach out to you or ask you, is there, is there any, you know, obviously there's nothing else we can do. So this is just the way it is. And you're thinking to yourself, maybe this isn't the only way it is. Yeah. Well, they would, you know, not want a certain procedure done and they had done their research and they had learned that, oh, they don't want their water bag broken early on in labor, that it's going to cause their labors to be harder and it may cause their baby to get more stress. And so they've decided, I don't want my water broken early in labor. And then the provider, the doctor would come in and say, no, we need to do this. It's going to speed things up. You don't know what you're talking about and convince her. And sometimes even if he couldn't convince her, he would still do it against her will. And so you're watching this and it feels kind of like a rape. It feels like a definite violation whether it's breaking the water bag, whether it's inserting a Foley catheter, anytime we're inserting things into other people's bodies without their consent, it's a horrible feeling to have to stand there and watch that, um, you know, and not speak out because if you do, you're going to lose your job. So. Well, I know, I know from my, you know, uh, from, from our time that we spent together, that was probably the most shocking thing early on in, in uh, my re-education about birthing. And honestly, women in general, we might get into that, you know, later on about a little bit about me. But um, when you would share these things with me early in our relationship, I was kind of in shock. Uh, I had also no experience with home births, uh, and my family, my, my wife, uh, my ex-wife, the wife, you know, when we had four, we had four children and there was never any talk about anything, but the hospital and, you know, doctors save people's lives and whatever they tell you to do, you should just do. And when you started telling me, well, that's, you know, maybe in cancer treatment or, uh, you know, a broken bone, but, you know, this is like you said, a very intimate experience birthing with somebody and, and that no, doctors aren't always right. And some doctors are just trying not to get sued and things like that. And uh, I found that, you know, disturbing. Uh, and then after getting to talk with, uh, with people in the community, uh, your own community, people, women that you were uh, being a midwife for, they echoed that over and over and over. And I found it really, really fascinating. What were what is there anything in particular, a, a moment or one particular person or a procedure or anything that really just put you right over the edge and said, this is ridiculous. I got to do something about it. Yeah, I don't I can't say that there was one particular person. 
It was overall a realization that I made within about two and a half years of being in labor and delivery. Um, there was in general, um, I would say a depersonalization of the patients there. So a lot of people were burnt out, nurses, doctors, everybody. And I don't want to say every single person there was burnout, but there was a high rate of burnout and they belittled patients behind their back. They belittled their family. Uh, it just not honoring this as a sacred event. And these are sacred people we're working with. Um, I would say the biggest thing that motivated me was seeing all of the unnecessary C-sections that I saw. The World Health Organization says C-section rate should be around 15%. And many times our C-section rate at that hospital was 40, 50, 60%. And wow. I would know that this labor was going along fine. Everything seemed to be normal. And then the doctor would tell me in the break room, I really got to get out of here. I have this golf game I can't miss. We'd go in and tell the woman, you're having this huge baby. It's not coming out. We need to do a C-section. She would believe him. We'd go out, do the C-section. A normal seven-pound baby would pop out. And I would like to say this was one time, but it wasn't. It was a pattern wow. over and over, a golf game, a hot date whatever was going on um, and literally having no shame about telling us the real reason and then going in the room and this is taking too long and we need to do a C-section over and over and over again. Knowing that these women did wow. not want a C-section, but that is what they were being told that they needed. So what was um, when you get through your schooling and you're ready to begin your practice. Uh, do you remember your first uh, delivery catch, whatever you want to call it? Uh, good question, but no. Um, you, in, you don't remember your first one? <laughs> in school, um, I went to University of Miami. And, um, and as a nurse midwife in school, we had to do, I think about 25 catches. So my first catches were actually in school with my preceptor standing right beside me. Um, I precepted at Jackson. And in school, do you mean like in like a hospital or a clinical setting, or was this in their homes and, or in a midwife's uh, midwifery office or something? No, it was in the hospital. So I precepted okay. at Jackson, which is the biggest hospital in Miami. I precepted at Jackson South. And then I precepted with another midwife up um, in Coral Springs. So I'm all of my school education uh, was based in the hospital. And it was about a year into my um, master's to become a nurse midwife after my, in my summer break that I said, oh, let me go check out what a birth center is like. I had heard about birth centers by this point, but I really didn't know what that would look like. So I called around a couple birth centers. One of them said, oh yeah, come on over. You can hang out with us. So I went over, I saw a whole day of their appointments and I saw a birth and I was blown away by the level of caring that was going on. Um, patients that had long appointments could ask all the questions they wanted, could have all their family there. 
laboring women that could walk around and eat and drink and get in and out of the shower and in and out of the tub and just birthing the way that they felt their body was telling them to and midwives who actually cared. And yeah, after that first day, I was sold <clears throat> on getting out of the hospital. I was sold on, okay, this, this is what I feel like birth should look like. This is more of my speed. I want to be working in this environment and not in the hospital. So essentially midwifery found you, this wasn't a calling from, you know, two years old or anything like that. It just kind of found you and you just stepped up. I stepped up. Yeah. And how long ago was this? So I've been a midwife now for 17 and a half years. Wow. Wow. And um, do you know how many babies you've caught? Yeah, 950, 51 births, I believe I'm at. Do you, that sounds like an, inc uh, like, inc like I want to like applaud or something, but maybe, you know, is that uh, typical in, in your profession? Is that, you know, people retire after a thousand births or some people never make it to a hundred or, you know, is there any kind of uh, norms in, in your industry about, about how many births people like you usually do? Yeah, well, I would say it depends on the setting. So if someone is doing hospital births, they're really cranking out a lot more numbers than I am because they're not having that continuity of care and they are, you know, just doing births by the, by the shift. Um, birth centers are going to have, you know, less numbers. And then home birth midwives are going to have the lowest numbers of births because they've actually spent more and more time with their patients or clients. So I would say if you're comparing me to other home birth midwives, I've done a lot uh, because I did spend the first five years of my career working at a busy birth center in Miami. So, okay. So um, you're saying that some midwives, and I know midwives listen to this podcast, so excuse me for not being, you know, knowing everything about it, but that you have chosen home births and some midwives just do this in hospitals and in clinics. Not everybody is a home birth midwife. No, that's right. So most nurse midwives that have the same license and title that I have, most of them work in the hospital. I see. Okay. Um, some of them work in birth centers or own birth centers and few, the least popular okay. options for nurse midwives are working at home. Like I do. I'm one of the few nurse midwives that does home birth. Wow. Um, I, how does the, if you don't mind me asking, uh, the pay or, you know, compensation compared to other nurses or other, you know, like how does all of that work out for you? Yeah. So I could probably be making a lot more money if I worked in the hospital. I'm not sure okay. of the area around here, but from what I've heard, nurse midwives that are hospital based and very busy, they might be making somewhere between 110 and 150,000 a year. So okay. in home birth, we do a lot fewer numbers. So obviously we're going to be making less money. Um, some of that is dependent on how you set up your practice and how many births you do a month. I usually make somewhere around 80,000 a year. If I have fewer births, I may only make 60,000. If I have some more births, I may make, you know, 90,000. I don't think I've ever made over a hundred thousand. So somewhere in that range, depending on who's been my client that year and 
are they paying full price or are they, you know, low income and I've given them a huge discount. So uh, the benefits, yeah, I don't have, you know, some company that's paying all my insurance or anything like that. So some years I've gone without insurance because the money hasn't been there. And uh, this year I have signed up for insurance due to COVID. I thought it'd be a great idea to have some this year. Also, there's no one contributing to my 401k, my retirement, those kind of things, disability insurance. So there are a lot of benefits that I am not getting because I am working outside of that large corporation, that institution. But I would say my personal satisfaction at work is a lot more better and my stress level is a lot less than I would be at if I were working in the hospital. Wow. So it is a bit of a sacrifice on your end financially, but uh, emotionally and all the other ways, there's benefits and it's just a trade-off that you're comfortable with. Yeah. And I think that if, if I wanted to own a birth center and a city and be very busy, is there's a potential, yes, I could be making the 120 or 150,000 if I was running a very busy birth center. But as far as my own personal level, I don't want that either. I'm very happy with a, a smaller home birth practice. So speaking of on a personal level, I do remember you sharing with me quite a few times um, that, uh, you know, the fact that you're outside of, uh, of all of that, the hospital and all of that, uh, that means that you're taking a lot of personal risk as well uh, when you're um, when you're birthing. Uh, if something goes wrong, it's kind of on you. Is that right? Yeah, it is. So isn't that terribly stressful? <laughs> um, all, all birth is, has the potential, um, for tragedy to hit for complications to arise that need to be handled very quickly. So that is the potential anywhere you're at. The difference being out in the community or at a home birth is that usually at most births, I have one assistant with me. Now that assistant is trained in CPR and NRP, which is neonatal resuscitation, but that's basically it, me and another person. In the hospital, if something happens, they might call in all of you know the available nurses on the floor. So you might get three or four L&D nurses there. They can call the NICU. They might get the neonatologist, a couple of pediatric nurses. There's a code blue team. So there's a lot more staffing in the hospital. Um, however, in the home, we're doing things to really promote physiological birth. We're taking lower risk clients. And that has, is one of the reasons why home birth can be safe is that we're screening our clients out for a lot of complications that could happen. But yeah, someone, if you don't like working by yourself and you need that comfort of all those other people who can help out, the home birth is not for you to be working. So it does take someone who can keep a level head, can be calm and is good in emergency situations. How often do you have to turn a client away or you take them on and, you know, eventually have to take, you know, have, have to send them to the hospital, you know, for a more traditional, I don't know if that's the word traditional is right for a more, for a hospital birth. Yeah. So in labor, my transfer rate is usually around 10%. Some years it's less than that and 6%. Some years it's greater than that. It's 15%. So it's usually around 10%. 
Um, and sometimes we have some ideas that we may need to go to the hospital, say this person had a C-section before, and this is her first birth afterwards. And we're seeing, can she birth vaginally? Is this going to work out? And then sometimes we have no ideas. It's a surprise that pops up and we had no idea. And yeah, we end up going to the hospital. So it's, it's around 10% in my practice. So um, do you have children? I do. I have two daughters. Yes. They're uh, it's weird almost- asking questions. I know the answers to me. <laughs> I want to say, wait a minute, you have children. Tell us about your children's birth. Did you choose to do a home birth with them? Yeah, I want to do a home birth with both of them. So Violet is my first and she is 10 years old. And I had a nice long labor with her. It was 39 hours. And I could check myself internally (laughs) while I was in labor with her. And I could feel that she was in brow presentation, which is not a good presentation. A lot of brow presentations end up in C-section. Wait a minute. You had a midwife with you or you were midwifing yourself? What what do you mean? I had both. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So you saw, you felt the, whatever you just described the, what did you just say? Brow presentation. So she was the brow presentation. Yes. I could, I could feel that myself. So, wow. And I had a midwife come up and to be with me as well. And we did a lot of things at home to try to change her position, including a shoulder stand. I have a picture of me in labor shoulder stand with my feet all the way up in the air, trying to shake her out of my pelvis so that she would reapply in a better position. That, That did not work. So I was seven centimeters for about 19 hours, uh, which is Mm. a very long time to be seven centimeters. And it was very humbling. But after a while, the midwife and I made a decision that it was time to go to the hospital. I thought for sure I was going to have a C-section based on the, the amount of time that I had been at seven and her presentation. But they loaded me up with Pitocin, got those contractions going. I did a lot of hands and knees, even in the hospital and had a patient doctor there. And she was able to adjust her position and I was able to push her out vaginally, but did have a hospital birth with Violet, which was very humbling, taught me a lot, left me with some birth trauma. I couldn't talk about her birth for the whole first year of life without crying. Um, wow. And uh, then I, you know, was pregnant with Zoe, my second, she is six, almost seven. And that was a totally different birth. The second births are she, that labor took about two and a half hours. Um, Very quick, very manageable, got in the tub, loved it. Um, It was so quick. My midwife around arrived when I was already crowning and pushed her out and she weighed 10 pounds, 10 ounces. So quite a large baby and in a very quick amount of time. So it was, I would say that was a very healing birth, a very redeeming birth where I realized, yes, my body can do this. And yeah, so I've had a long birth. I've had a short birth. I've had a home water birth. I've had the hospital birth. So I feel looking back, like those experiences have been very valuable to me because I understand what it feels like to have to transfer. I understand what birth trauma feels like. I understand what it feels like to get a birth that you did not want. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. So you're about seven or eight years into uh, your midwife career before you 
decided to have children. And then you got to go through the whole process yourself. Was there, was there, uh, you know, was there anything you learned that was like, oh my goodness, now that I've done it myself, you know, uh, did you see anything different or did it kind of, you know, did you just say, did you, were you just really, really prepared for your own births? Oh, I, I had no idea what labor felt like. So that was very unique right, right. feeling, feeling that intensity and knowing what it feels like, especially when it's taking a long time and experiencing some back pain. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a total different place to be did in. It change, you know, did it change like the way that you worked after you went through it yourself, like just a whole nother level of understanding. I would say it bumped me up a notch, but I think I had been with enough women before that, that I really had a broad perspective. I think I learned through my two births, what I like and what I don't like in labor and that's subject to change in a given moment. So mm -hmm. I think the process of having children made me a much more flexible person in general and made me like children better. <laughs> Right. Having my own <laughs> children well, was, made was, me able to relate to children better. Because I was thinking, you know, can you even be a midwife if you, and I know you can, obviously, but, you know, how, if you haven't even experienced it yourself, you know, and, and, and what, what difference that might have made, but you, you said it was pretty in line with your expectations. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think yeah, it changed. Well, I don't think it changed me drastically having children and, you know, going through right. it myself. So if you have a midwife working for you that hasn't had their own children, it's not like you should be where, you know, it's just like they can handle it just fine. Yes. I think the most yeah. important thing is having had more experience and seeing a lot of different yeah. women give birth. So speaking of experiences, would you like to share with us maybe some highlights, uh, highlights, lowlights, you know, scares that you've had or anything along the way that's just really, really, really notable? I know that's kind of a broad question. I don't want to like pin you down to the worst thing that's ever happened or whatever, maybe just whatever pops up. Yeah. So I would say some highlights are those families that I've really gotten to know over the years and seen them journey. There's a couple families that have birthed uh, four times with me. So I was there before they had wow. children and I got to know them on their first journey and really educate them about this whole process and be with them. And then seeing them grow as a family, grow as parents, each baby they have. So, I mean, that level of connection is pretty intense. I feel like those, you know, people who've had four babies with me, they're going to be in my heart for forever and probably I'll be in their heart forever. You know, it's, it's a different level of trust and intimacy. Um, you know, I've been through people that have had multiple, multiple miscarriages. I'm thinking of one right now that, you know, she's probably had 10 or 15 miscarriages and wow, dealing with that amount of loss is, you know, also sad and, you know, bonds you in a different way to somebody. Um, you know, there's been times where women have come in for prenatal appointments and, um, you know, I can remember one who's, she's 26 weeks or so. And she didn't call me or tell me about it previously, but she's coming in and she's like, Oh yeah, I haven't felt the baby move all weekend, you know, and you go to listen to heart tones and there's no heart tones because the baby's passed inside of her and you're with her through that experience of 
dealing with loss. So I think the longer you you've been in obstetrics and midwifery that you're going to have, you know, great highs and, and, and terrible lows, um, and the ability to keep going and keep learning is what distinguishes those who can last in this profession. Have you ever questioned your profession? Have you ever like, you know, come through an experience uh, and just been like, I don't know if I can do this again, or I needed some time off to re, you know, to gather myself. Oh yeah. I think after every really long birth, I think to myself, why the hell am I doing this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When I've been at somebody's house for like three or four days and it's taken like every ounce of strength and I'm a zombie at the end. Yeah. I think, why am I doing this? Um, Not that I'm not good at it because I feel like I am good at it. I've been doing it a while. I think my, my clients would testify to my hardiness as a midwife. Um, but why am I choosing to do this? (laughs) It is, it is a crazy job sometime and it can be stressful and can definitely leave you sleep deprived. So definitely had those moments where I've questioned it. The thing is, is we don't have enough midwives. Women need good midwives. And I know that I am making a difference in every family that I am with. I am not just helping them have a good birth on one day, but I'm helping them trust in their body for the rest of their life. I'm helping them on their breastfeeding journey. I'm helping this child's health by helping this woman nurse and yeah, impacting them for the rest of their life. Not to overstate it, but women can be left after their birth feeling amazing and powerful, or they can be left feeling traumatized and depressed and not bonding with their babies. So I know that what I'm doing makes a difference. And every time I go to the hospital with a transfer and I'm sitting in that room with the woman and I see the alternative, I know that what I'm doing is very important. So every hospital transfer that I have reinstills in me the purpose of why I'm doing this. So you have um, an event that you do that I was really fortunate to attend called bellies, babies, and brunch. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a fun event. It's actually called babies, bellies, and brunch. Oh, okay. (laughs) We uh, get together once a year. We did skip last year due to COVID. And uh, we have like a little potluck reunion where we, everyone shows off their babies and how big they're getting or shows off their bellies. We do raffles and yeah, it's a chance for the community to meet and network and it's fun. Yeah. Well, I got to go to that event and um, uh, I, I, I was pretty struck by something. You had asked me uh, to document it a little bit. And so I was uh, making some videos and interviewing some people. Um, and every time I would get off to the side with someone, they would look at me and they go, do you know who you're hanging out with? Do you know who you're dating? And I'd be like, okay, tell me. You say this is the most amazing woman, and I met people that you that had had four. I I literally got to meet someone that you had four children. That I think it was three or four of their children you had birth, and uh, yeah, everywhere I went, when we would go out, everywhere I would go with you, I was just like a little sidekick. I felt like a little sidekick, and everyone's just like, "Do you understand who you're with? Do you know who you're with?" And it was just like such an amazing. Um, 
these these women describe such an amazing relationship and bond and how like you would cheerlead them through and how you were strong and brave when they were crying and falling apart and how you showed up and were just, oh, it's going to be okay. And just give me a little more push. And uh, yeah, it was quite, so, you know, you have this impact and you, you already talked about it a little bit, you know, that closeness that you feel. Um, uh, but there must be, there just must be a lot of pressure that goes with that. Uh, and I'm wondering um, how would you tell people that are just getting into this? Because I know from personal experience that you train other midwives, doulas and different, uh, different levels. Um, and they don't all make it, you know, they don't know, they don't all continue with it. Have you had a few that didn't and why, like, what's the, what's the thing that, that keeps people from being able to continue in the practice? Yeah, well, there's a lot of factors that lead to burnout and that's actually going to be another episode of this podcast. So stay tuned. Um, (laughs) but I think it has to do with a low level of anxiety is what you need. So people are that are high anxiety are going to have a harder time with being a midwife. So you got to have the empathy, but you can't have too much anxiety and you have to be good at letting things go. So when you come home, trying to forget about all those problems you just heard in the office, if they don't require your attention. And um, when you go to bed at night, trying not to overanalyze everything and run 3 million different scenarios in your head you know, and not sleep. So over the years of me being a midwife, I've become more and more Buddhist, um, which is basically a study of how to become more detached, (laughs) Um, doing more meditation, being more mindful, being more accepting um, that we are not in control of things. So I think all of those practices have helped me on this journey to, um, stay with it, do the best I can. And uh, yeah, keep going. So speaking of keeping going uh, over 900 births, is that what you said? Yeah, 950. Yeah, 950. Um, Are you going to make it to a 1000? If you do, do you throw yourself a party? Do you retire? I mean, do you think of slowing down? Is there like a, you know, you should only midwife in your prime years, and then you get older, it's too much stress, let some younger people do it? Or can you midwife till you're 85? You know, what's your own personal take on it? And then maybe tell us a little bit more about midwifery in general. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that I have toned down my practice a bit. So I'm only doing three or four births a month where at some points in my career, I've been doing six or eight a month. So scaling down um, the numbers of birth, the numbers of nights a month that I'm going to be awake all night is helpful. Um, I think I'm right now I'm 44. I would say I probably have another good 10 or 15 years in me of doing births. I may have more than that. I don't know how I'll feel when I'm that age. Um, But I'm sure the nights, the long nights is what eventually gets to you. But as a nurse midwife, I can continue doing gynecology in the office and primary care and my telehealth business. So those things aren't going to disrupt my sleep. So yes, I could keep working until I die as long as, you know, my brain remains competent. So right now I don't have any plans of retiring. I feel like I'm at a good pace and the key is really good support system as well. So a good office manager and good students to help you out. 
So speaking of a good support system, um, what is the personal toll it has taken on you uh, as a mother, as a, a partner, um, as a, you know, it, you're dating, you know, uh, your social life, like you talk about these births, you, you know, you have to go there, you have to be there, you have to sit for hours and hours on end. Um, is this a career where you can do both or to be able to support women and, you know, in the way that you do, then people and things around you. I know there's also, there's already talked about some financial sacrifice involved. What else do you sacrifice to, to do this job and who else sacrifices with you? Oh, Paul, what a question. Um, so I think that, yeah, your family, you know, my family um, has probably sacrificed a bit due to me being a midwife and children you know missing some of their um activities i haven't missed a birthday yet but many midwives do i have had births on christmas and holidays and the knowledge i think that mom could be gone at any moment might leave a little bit of trauma in a kid <laughs> whenever i put on certain outfits my kids oh my god are you going to a birth like they know the clothes i put on um, I'll leave us a note if you're gone, mom, like, you know, so maybe they do have a little bit of trauma of me running off. Um, and knowing that, although I love them so much that they are not number one in my schedule, you know, that my partner cannot be my family, my kids cannot be number one in my schedule. The birth calls are number one and everything else comes after that. So yeah, it does take a special partner to understand that. And usually I would say works out better if that person really recognizes the value of midwifery and what I'm doing. Um, I've had partners that don't realize the value and they get, you know, very angry that they're not number one, at least in my scheduling. So I think we should flip the switch now, Paul, and I should interview you. So my first question for you is, what did you think when you first learned that I was a midwife? Like what ideas or images did that conjure up in your head? Oh, embarrassing, embarrassing question, because I, I feel I felt really stupid about about births. Uh, I had, you know, um, <clears throat> You know, we um, we were together just a few years ago, so it, it wasn't. Uh, you know, I I had four children, raised four children, and still knew nothing about birth and nothing about. I almost say nothing about women. I know that sounds crazy. I'm going to try to explain that a little bit. So we had of uh, of uh, uh, my second daughter was probably the most interesting birth, and um, uh, she was born 11 minutes after I parked in the parking garage, like I, I ran and I parked and I had this little stub that came out and I'm running into the hospital. I dropped my wife off at the emergency room door. We're driving as fast as we can go down the road. She's kind of between laughing and crying. I'm fairly crazy acting. I'm scared to death because I'm afraid I'm going to have to deliver this baby. I'm going to have to see this thing coming out. And I'm like, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm terrified. I, 
I'm not really thinking this is a natural process. And nine out of 10 times, like you said, 90% of the time, people can just have a baby and it kind of works out, Paul. It's pretty natural. It might hurt and this and that, but it's going to get done. Well, I was just terrified. We had gone to birth classes and nobody had said, well, if you guys want to do this at home, it's nine out of 10 times, it's no big deal. You know what I mean? Uh, so I, I am thinking this is something that should only happen in the hospital because all of the things that can go wrong, et cetera. So uh, I knew nothing about it. I, uh, the only people that I, you know, if somebody said I, 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 uh, I had a birth at home, I would just be like, why? Why would anybody do that? Is this like someone who just likes torture, you know, themselves or like they're just really risky or they don't trust doctors? Why don't they trust doctors? Doctors are great. So that was kind of my, you know, so for me, when I, I was just like, why in the world would anybody do this until you started explaining it to me? Uh, and then I started meeting all of these women and hearing their stories. And it was very powerful, uh, very powerful, but no, very little experience at all. Okay. And what was reality like dating a midwife? Well, I think you, I think you captured it pretty well in, 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 in your answer about the sacrifices and and your support system and, and the, you know, births being um, the number one thing in your life. It's your, it's your number, your number one. And, uh, and you're, and I wasn't your number two, I was about number four buying kids and stuff. (laughs) But, um, for me personally, it was wonderful. Uh, I instantly, uh, understood the value of what you were doing. Uh, I have tremendous respect and I, I think I admire you and respect you in a way that I, I can't say that, uh, well, all I want to say is I, it's a lot. And I saw how strong you were. So for me, I found it extremely attractive um, that you would choose to walk into the ring of fire, holding someone's hand and come back and see me and hang out. And I'm like, I'm the luckiest guy in the world getting to hang out with this incredibly amazing, powerful, beautiful woman. So, but, but, it was hectic and chaotic. It was, and uh, if, if um, you know, there was one story that you obviously know and remember, we, you can help me out. We were going to an event together and we were very dressed up. You were in high heels and this beautiful gown and dress. And it was like a ball, some kind of a ball. Dancing with the big... stars, dancing with the stars. No, that's what it was. I mean, it was a big event. It was like a theater and we were cheering for people and, you know, uh, in our friend, we had a friend or one of your friends that was actually in the event and they were dancing. And so we were there to have a great time. And we, I don't even know if it had started or it had just started. And, and all of a sudden you're like, you're like, let's go. We got to go. And I'm like, like when she's like, now <laughs> you were like now. And I'm like, Oh no. What's this mean? Like, are you dropping me off at home? Like where, what is happening here? And you're like, Oh no, I'm changing. We're driving. I got to jump out of the side of this. I got to jump out of this car ready to like catch a baby and like, hold on for dear life. And you were not joking. Uh, We get in the car. 
I, 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 I remember, I think I filmed some of this and made a video about it. So there might be some footage of it or something, but I'm sure there is. You scared, I'm trying not to cuss on this podcast. You scared me very bad. You were going like a hundred miles an hour, maybe 90 miles an hour. And you're, you know, you're kind of laughing, I think at my trauma. And I'm like <laughs> over there holding on to things. And I'm like, oh, what if we get pulled over? And you're like, oh, I'm not worried about the cops. If they don't, I'll just tell them to get me there. And I'm like, oh my God, and you're breaking laws. And you're, and I'm, and I'm, it was terrifying. And Meanwhile, the phone's ringing. Somebody's over there. Tell them to hold on. It was crazy. And, and this is like your, this is a normal thing for you, but it was terrifying and thrilling and exciting. And we pull up and you just like, boom, just throw off your shoes. I don't even, because you had heels and stuff and you just go running into the house. And I'm sitting out there and you're like, you can come in with me. I'm like, nope, I'm sitting right here. <laughs> and then the family, because there was members of the family there and relatives and the mom and the husband and people, they are wandering out and eventually talking and you, you know, took care of all that business and it was great, but it all worked out well. But that was, that was pretty exciting, but that's the exciting stuff. But the mundane stuff was just as real. Um, I remember you telling me that uh, when you are, Leaving all the time, you're like, uh, I think you at the time you had um, a spare bedroom and somebody would stay at your house, uh, a roommate or a, 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 I don't know, I don't think it was anyone specifically to like babysit, but I remember you saying like uh, you would let, you know, a friend or a guest or another doula or somebody stay at your house because you're like, you know, if not, I got to call grandparents or their father and we have to do this like emergency child care. We have to, someone has to pick them up. Someone has to drop them off. And so I remember you sharing with me so much about just the daily life of picking up your kids for school, you know, just like I'm gone for 16 hours. And of course I got to interact with your family and, you know, your kids, by the way, did not seem traumatized to me. They seemed uh, like maybe, maybe you just explained it to them really well. As a matter of fact, if, if, if you don't mind me saying the, the one of the first times I got to meet your daughters, they're one of the, the proudest moments was they wanted to show me like videos of their birth or something, or they had uh, uh, some kind of thing that you had made from something or other. I don't want to get, I mean, the placenta stuff and uh, they just knew everything. They knew your daughters knew way more about birthing than me. None of it traumatized them. They thought you were like a hero. And, but yeah, I mean, so yes, they, they have a different childhood, but then again, they get to have a mom like you. So I don't know if it's traumatic or inspiring, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, but it's, but it's definitely very real. You know, it's, it's, I, the only thing I, you know, like a fireman or an ER doctor is the only people in my mind that, you know, Hey, they could take off at any time, you know, cause cops don't take off at any time. You know, they like they're on shift or they're off shift. So there's not too many professions that just like have to run out the door. And so it, very, it was very surprising um, and very real. And, and, you know, you said earlier in the interview that you only do a few births a month compared to others. Like I, it seemed like always to me, because even if you have four births this month, you do not know if all four of them are coming tomorrow or one, two, three, four, or two today, two tomorrow. So you can't plan this was this is okay. This was this was the most one of the most amazing uh, challenging things or interesting things or how does she live like that? 
uh, when you told me about your vacations. You say, I have to plan my vacations at least nine months in advance. So I don't take on clients for weeks at a time to clear out nine months in advance a space for me to be able to take my children on a vacation, for me to be able to leave my zip code on a date with you. We can't travel. We can't go anywhere. We can't even go. Can't, we can't go anywhere that I'm 30 or 40 minutes away, you know, from, from, you know, where, where the women are that I'm working with. And I, uh, I, I, to me, it's like, it didn't really bother me. I just was mostly had a lot of empathy for you. Um, but I could see, um, over time, you know, that getting very taxing on your partner. Um, we were together and I know we've known each other for years and, and we were together as partners for around a year. Uh, and, but the, but, but the midwife stuff, uh, your job is what I mean. Like that never played a role in, in our relationship in a negative way. Like I said, for me, it was positive and wonderful. Uh, but I could see, you know, if we had chosen to stay in a long-term relationship, you know, it's like, you know, we can't do that. I can't go here. If, if I have to go take a trip, I have to go by myself. So I don't think I experienced the long-term version of that. And I think that could be difficult. You know, yeah. it could be someone, someone have to choose to be on that journey with you for sure. Yeah. It's very real. And, and different midwife practices have different models. So when I, when you and I were together, um, I was doing about six or eight births a month. So it was busier than I am right now. But yeah, I think that to be a partner of a midwife, you have to be someone who is flexible and who is spontaneous because that is the life of an on-call midwife is spontaneous calls and flexible schedules and rearranging everything at the drop of a hat, you know? So there are certain characteristics that make for a good midwife. There's also certain characteristics that make for a good midwife partner. Um, and on the flip, on the flip side of that, you know, let me tell you some pluses, um, is, you know, you're deeply connected with the human experience. Um, you, it, at least in, in our situation, you know, you're very, very well, well aware of your limitations of availability and things. And so, you know, you would also have like, Hey, I got two whole weeks where there might not be a birth and, and we can spend more time together than maybe other couples can, because, you know, it's not always a nine to five job for you, you know, during the week, you can, you can move your schedule around, you know, for all of all the appointments that you do for follow-ups and checkups, you can move that around, you know, like anybody else can, you can take days off and, you know, so um, it's, 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 it's a little of both. Yeah. So what would you say you learned about birth from dating a midwife? Oh, oh my goodness. Well, um, so at the very, the very first one of the first questions I asked you um, was the, it was, it was really early on. And, you know, I said, why did you become a midwife? You know, you just love catching, you love, you know, babies. You're like, no, it's about the women. Um, I think my relationship with women in general uh, changed uh, when I heard the stories about women, particularly having babies and how, and then like later I was with you to try to get, get petitions signed and things for like the local hospital. 
I remember you sending people to a local hospital and this doctor or that doctor or this administrator or that administrator was like kind of on, on, you know, actually in opposition to you or like, ah, what's she doing or whatever. And it was the struggle. It was the struggle that women in particular have with, I hate to say this, but generally men who are doctors. Uh, and I know that's changing, but, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, you know, probably way more men are in control of women's bodies. I know what's best for you. And if you would have asked me, I'm 54. So if you asked me 30 years ago in my early 20s, I would have said, you're wrong. A doctor's right. You're just some crazy, you know person, not just a woman, just a crazy person who doesn't trust doctors for whatever reason. I understand now that in a whole different way that women's bodies are actually very different than men's bodies. There are no procedures that happen to me where a doctor, I feel like the doctor is superior to me and he can just tell me what to do. And and I kind of have to, and all my relatives tell me, do what they say. And everyone in the nerve, everyone's just telling you, you're getting the C-section. That's what's best for you. And that I just, it was just, uh, it was, uh, it was, um, I guess it was a relationship with women and their bodies and how men and medicine have abused that for centuries. Okay. Going deep. Good, Paul. Love it. it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I feel like I'm staying on the surface so I don't cry or something. Like it was really, you know, it's okay to cry. Well, you know, I, I, and I'm not blaming my ex-wife or my mother or the beautiful, amazing women that were around me. This is not like a put down about them, but I think I would say that they um, didn't even understand their own bodies. They didn't understand their own rights. They did not understand their own ideas about themselves that that I was taught even through them you just do what the doctor tells you to do honey just just you know and in many situations that works so yeah I it it it, um it made me sad for women and I thought about women in third world countries I mean developing women in yeah developing nations or sorry um um uh women um in repressed authoritarian places that uh, just, it's like when you hear the cries of all those women, (laughs) it's like, I'd never heard them before until you kind of shared all that with me. So it's like, now I just, that's all I hear. I just, it's like, man, now I'm like, you know, you should, you should get a midwife. As a matter of fact, you should get Angie love to be your (laughs) midwife because I know what I know how how well you're going to be taken care of, and um, so and, so dating me yeah. has made you um, a feminist. Well, I uh, yeah that, that yeah. Just say yes. <laughs> well, I, yes. I, I don't want to say I don't want to say I was an ant. I wasn't a feminist. Like it, this is, I'll tell you what. It's not really about like women's rights or feminism, and, and I mean not for me. It, it wasn't an angry place of. Of, of yes or no, or it was literally like, just, I felt stupid. And then I was like, just shown the light. And, and then I understood feminism better 
and why women had to fight so hard for their right to party, you know, <laughs> but no. So, you know, so it was just that, that, that one part and that one piece, I just, you know, it's like, so yeah, it, it did make me understand. So wait a minute, if women are fighting for this and doctors are treating them like that. And then I started thinking of, you know, thinking about all the other things. And so, yes, it completely changed. That's why I said it, you know, kind of my, my view about women and their struggle. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a proud, woke feminist man or whatever, whatever title you want to put on me, I feel great about it. And I didn't even think, I didn't even have bad thoughts or dismissing. It wasn't like I was a, felt like a bad person. I, I literally just think a lot of people just don't know. Yeah. They don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, would you date a midwife again? If I ever were so lucky. Okay. <laughs> hint, hint. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just so everybody knows there's, there's no tension between mm -hmm. us and we are wonderful. As a matter of fact, we've transitioned into amazing. Um, we're still partners. We're friends. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, um, would I date a midwife again? Absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, yes, I would. Any tips you want to leave or advice? And we'll close with this, um, for the partners of midwives, someone contemplating being the partner of a midwife. I think, I think the schedule and the travel and, you know, interrupting what might be my night or my birthday or, you know, assuming, you know, I guess I'm older. So I'm, I'm thinking more of like, you know, um, even without children involved. Uh, but you know, if you're, if you're getting into a marriage and you're going to have children with the midwife, like you are, there's going to be a, you kind of have to know your place in the home. <laughs> I hate to say it like that, but you have to know it accept it, love it and get comfortable with it. But yeah, you're, you're going to be number two uh, occasionally. Um, but really I don't want to like scare anybody off from it because, um, but it is real and it is, it, it, you know, I, I, I've never been in another relationship. I've of course, I, well, I have never dated another midwife or anyone with a job, anything like yours. And so, um, it, it does take the focus away from just the me and you part of a relationship. And it's always like that third person's there. Uh, but if you're, if you respect and admire your partner and if you, uh, if you're okay with her, you know, going out and being an amazing human and helping some people and helping some woman uh, or family, you know, husbands and wives, you know, have, have home births and the joy of it then, you know, it, it, you don't know, it, it might be a badge of honor rather than something to be afraid of. Oh, thank you, Paul. Well, I want to thank you so much for all that you've shared and helped out with today. Um, I did want to tell everyone, since I didn't mention at the beginning that I am a nurse practitioner, nurse midwife practicing in Vero Beach, Florida. I'm also doing telehealth in Utah. My pronouns are she and hers. My Vero Beach practice is called Midwife Love. And my telehealth practice is called Midwife RX and provides necessary prescriptions in Florida and Utah for anyone over the age of 16. And is that a dot com? Yep, both dot coms. What, what, what was it again? Midwifelove.com Midwife. and midwiferx.com. 
Yay. Yay. Well, thank you so much. And I, and I, and I, and I highly recommend, I highly recommend even the telehealth part of it. We didn't get into it. Um, but I was there at the beginning of you, uh, doing that, or you'd already been doing it, but like, you know, it was fairly new for you. And just that, not just as a midwife, but as a gynecologist, uh, or gynecology, whatever the right terminology is. And, uh, just calling up a doctor and asking for, uh, you know, some help uh, calling a midwife for almost anything for whatever reason, uh, for my experience is a really good move for, for women, for women in general. And I think people should reach out to you and to people like you who do, who are doing telehealth and who aren't in a, maybe a traditional system or aren't available at the hospital. You might have to dig around a little bit, uh, to find someone like you within reach to talk to. But I think, uh, trying to help people feel safe and comfortable with that, especially if someone like me who has been in both sides, mostly in the more traditional way, and then being around you and seeing what you're doing is actually so much more, I don't know, holistic is the right way to put it, but it just seems like a better option. So I would highly encourage people to lean into that and um, not be afraid of the unknown. Awesome. Thank you so much, Paul. Peace. Thank you, Angie. See you soon.